Hi, my name is Anton Pichka. I'm an outdoor athlete from Boulder, Colorado. And I uh, guess we're here today to talk about a combination bike, run, climb, uh, bike packing tour I went on this past summer. Tony, it's good to see you. Uh, good to see you too, Buzz. We're doing this in person. I think I've gotten a little bored. I think maybe you have too. With the whole online thing, we do the podcasts. Of course, it's kind of fun to get to do it with people in Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom. But we're doing this one in person. This is, I don't know, I'm kind of a person-to-person guy. Yeah, and we live in the same town, Boulder, so it makes sense to do it in person <laughs> if the schedule works out. So, it yeah. does. So you were our very first podcast guest. Oh, wow. Okay. Number one, and I'm going to put links to this in the written show notes. So if people want to listen to this, go back, and we'll see uh, how Tony has changed over the years. And you are our 127th guest just last year, too. Okay. Do, what are we at now, like 200? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about at 176 or okay. so. Okay, wow, geez. All right. Yeah. So like you said, we're going to talk about this a massive trip that you did Partially on bike and partially, obviously, running hiking last year, which you called Sagebrush to Summits. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, I would say for the past four years, five years now, uh, I've really gotten excited about bike touring as a way of getting outside and seeing the world. And um, really, the idea is just strap some camping gear to your bicycle and go cover some ground and but you know i uh i'm best known as a mountain runner i would say and that's been my sport for the past 20 plus years and uh so for when i'm on a bike tour through the mountains i'm not i'm I'm always uh dissatisfied if i'm just pedaling past the base of the mountain and there's a high peak up there um so i like to bring running shoes along sometimes and uh climb some mountains along the way too so that was kind of the goal of this trip to pick a number of summits uh, a lot of that i hadn't done before and uh going a long bike tour and and uh tag each mountain you did it all so let's we better explain this because i i knew you were doing something until i looked at your article by the way links in the written show notes this was this was a stunning trip um let's just break it down here you started from your house yeah so i started uh here in boulder uh from my front doorstep and the idea was to link together kins peak and uh the uinta mountains in utah it's the high point of utah the grand teton in wyoming uh obviously one of the most iconic peaks really in the lower 48 and then up to granite peak in the beartooth mountains in southern montana which is the high point of montana and then over to the Bighorn Mountains back in Wyoming to Cloud Peak, which is the highest mountain in that range. And then back across the straight state to uh, the Wind River Range to the high point of Wyoming, uh, Gannett Peak. And then finally ride my bike back to Colorado and finish up on Long's Peak, which is our backyard 14er here in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I think the best 14er in the state, not just because it's in our backyard, but uh because it's the most technical mountain in the state Um, by far yeah so uh yeah that was the idea it ended up being uh over 2300 miles total and uh it took me exactly 21 days door to door and yeah wow 
I mean, th those are six classic summits. Like you said, the highest mountain in the Uintas, mm -hmm. and in Utah for that matter, yeah. and the highest mountain in Wyoming, the highest mountain in Montana, plus, you know, three yeah, other... Yeah, other, like, range high points, really. Range yeah. high points, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you biked between them all. Yes. And you went, obviously, solo and self-supported. Yeah, yeah, that's... I mean, that's a big deal right now, really, because it's really different if someone's following you in a sprinter van, you're, you know, getting in your nice bed and someone's fixing <laughs> yeah. your flat tires. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like, I don't know. If, so for me, I didn't have any, uh, oh, I don't know, like great political mission with it. You know, I wasn't trying to like end climate change or something by pedaling a bicycle instead of driving a car. Uh, I think when you set an objective for yourself or when I set an objective for myself, I'm really trying to create an experience that's going to end up uh, being meaningful for me and putting me in situations that kind of force me into sort of a headspace and um, I don't know, an orientation to your surroundings that you don't get in everyday life uh, when you have a nice bed and a kitchen and a bathroom and, uh, you know, shelter and that kind of thing. Um, and so having some kind of sag wagon or having uh, really even like a partner along the way, you know, someone to like share the miles with um, would be a completely different experience that I guess I'm just not as inspired by or interested in having. Um, part of that's personality, but a lot of it is what I was talking about, about um, going out there for a certain type of experience. You were out there. It felt that way at times, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny how quickly it can feel that way. Like for me, so the, I mean, the first day I rode over the Connell Divide over Rollins Pass um, and got almost a steamboat, Colorado, and whatever, like that was a long day. But then the second day I went through the northwest corner of the state out to uh, almost the Flaming Gorge of the Green River and immediately that's a desolate part of the country. It's bleak, desert pretty grim it was almost 100 degrees that day um in july you uh you feel pretty out there pretty quickly and i was carrying four liters of water and you know it was i think 150 miles without resupply so i had like 10 burritos in my frame bag and <laughs> i don't know it's funny i remember also i was just like just getting into the rhythm of the trip that second day so it felt like pretty desperate right off the bat just because uh, there weren't many people <laughs> and you just feel alone really quickly. And I remember thinking or getting excited when there would be like a highway sign, just like, you know, a curve in the road or like, uh, wow, look at this. Yeah. Like a, exactly. Like a speed limit sign or something. It's like, Oh yeah. Something to occupy your mind. Well, no more just like there are humans, you know? <laughs> and it's just funny how quickly you feel like you're out there all by yourself, I guess. And that's, that can be unsettling, I suppose. Well, I like um, this because we, we contrast it right away with a race mm -hmm. where everything's prescribed. We've talked about this before. FKT versus race. In a race, this time, this date, this course, yeah. here's food every 10 miles. If you sprain your ankle, we're going to pick you up and we're going to take you home. And this is literally the opposite. Sure. Everything is self-created. And that extends remarkably far, shall we say, into your psyche because also self-created is the motivation to do it, the meaning for doing it, and your own thoughts. Because if you're in a race, it's like it's all kind of coming at you, and it's a very, what's the word, a very simplistic 
train of thought. Well, a race is it's a curated, um, created experience for you. You know, it's like here's structure. Here you kind of like know what you're going to be getting into, um, and there's like there's some emotional comfort in that. Like I uh, I totally understand the appeal of that, but uh, something that I when I create kind of a a trip or an expedition or an objective for myself, it's because I don't want that, uh, I don't know, like community aspect that, uh, yeah, like that created aspect. Like I want to like, kind of like go out into the world, let myself be open to what's thrown at me and then hopefully rise to the occasion. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's creating the elements required for uh, to like bring about some kind of radical self-reliance in yourself, you know? Um, wow. And in a race, it's almost like you, you, you intentionally take that stuff away. Like you, uh, you have a crew typically there's aid stations, there's uh, medical personnel, there's, you have often in the North America, there's pacers, you know, that kind of thing. And the whole point of this is to go out there and, uh, do it yourself. And I mean, for me, that's, that's twofold, I guess. Uh, and this is, this is like the whole purpose of a trip like this is to go out there and get humbled, you know, feel really small in the face of kind of a giant objective and a giant landscape and, uh, yeah, an imposing kind of intimidating landscape. And then, uh, but also I guess every day, having to like overcome a significant challenge, you, you gradually are empowered by the whole experience too. So it's this, uh, this is like this dichotomy between feeling insignificant and humbled, but then also feeling kind of your authority and your agency in your, you know, like fully engaging with and inhabiting your life. That was very articulate. Thank you. I've uh, done a few things like this myself. I don't yeah. think I, <laughs> I don't think I've been able to articulate it quite like that. I like it. I get it. Because in a race, or actually, if you're even just in training now, the metrics, of course, have just blown up. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. Mean, I, I'm this old guy. I said I want to try to stay with it. So I read some of these articles. I go, I'm not sure if I want to do stay with this stuff. And they're getting into this level of detail of training plans and metrics, such as your your heart rate fluctuations and your glucose levels, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just blowing all that away. You're, you're, well, on a, you're on a different I'm, scale. Well, I'm uh, I'm guilty of being aware of that stuff, and you know, I think I have a bit of a reputation for kind of meticulously tracking uh, a lot of data with regard to my outdoor pursuits. You know, just like number of times I've done a peak or a route, um, number of miles per week, hours per week, vert per week, that kind of thing. You know, added up ad infinitum over the years, decades. Uh, so I am not, I'm not someone who's like, oh yeah, just go by feel and all that. Cause I've had periods in my life where, and I have tracked splits sort of obsessively. And, but you know, when you're talking about a race and, and data, anytime I've ever been in a race and I've looked at my watch and I've seen a split, it's done nothing to affect how, <laughs> what kind of effort I'm putting out. All right. It's just sort of like noise. It doesn't like I'm already doing what I can do in the moment. Seeing what my split is at a certain aid station or time check of some kind 
it, it's never like changed. Okay, I need to run harder now. No, I've never. That's never been the case. It's just been like, well, I guess that's how I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 a weird. I don't know. So like all the data stuff is. It's 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 interesting in retrospect, always, but in the moment, it never has any bearing on my ability to like yeah. put out an effort. I guess it's really helped me with training. I for it's helped you with training. Yeah, the watch. Okay, Strava. Yeah, I mean, I'm out there because I'm ninety nine percent of the time by myself, mm -hmm. and so I look at my watch. Said, okay, I'm doing X. You know, here's my pace. I want to get it to such and such. And so it's giving me this little bit of feedback. It's giving me someone to talk to in a certain sense. See, that's what I like about Strava. Um, it's by far my favorite social media app. Right. Because that's what it is ultimately. But that's what uh, public training logs have always been for me. Um, I have a private training log too. But uh, I've been a part of public training logs since being a collegiate runner and I've always really enjoyed them, and Strava's just been like the adult version of that for me. <laughs> right, right. Social media for athletes. You get to post photos and, and routes. Of course, you can download... Just see what your friends are up to, basically. Like, that's like, you can get inspired by it. At least that's what it is for me. Right. You can download yeah. GPX files, for that matter. Yeah, but what do you do with a GPX file? I've, I've never downloaded a GPX file from <laughs> Strava for like personal use. Oh, interesting. Of course, I'm being in the business, I've downloaded 50 of them because we have to check people. Sure, sure, sure. That. For like FKT <laughs> stuff. But I mean, that goes back to like, yeah. Right, verification. You know, yeah, verification <laughs> and trying to beat people, I guess, you know, like that's... Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, this is so funny. But then like you say, you, you bump to a race and it's like, no, I'm just trying to beat the person next to me. I mean, you know, it's kind of like screw pace. It's yeah, like, but why are you trying to beat the person next to you? That's what's interesting to me. I that's guess. primal. I mean, either you feel that or you don't, right? Yeah. I mean, I have uh, my entire life, I've f had a strong competitive urge, I guess. And, uh, but, you know, this, I don't know what, last four or five years, I have spent, I've only raced once, you know, uh, this past summer in August. And, but I, you know, in, in the running realm, I've done bike races and ski mountaineering races. Um, but I'm not very good at either skiing or biking. Uh, like good enough in the front half of the pack, <laughs> but uh, not to garner any kind of recognition or accolades, you know. But I've still found those competitions to be just as enriching and valuable life experiences as any race that I've won, I guess, or where I'm contending for the win. Um, so it's, I don't know, my motivation. I, th I don't know if I, if 10 years ago I would have said that winning a race is irrelevant to the experience, but that's definitely the way I feel now. Yeah, sure, it's a happy byproduct or outcome, but it doesn't, I don't think it says anything about me. It's what's much more important to me is uh, if I can feel good about the effort that I gave that day. So, right. Yeah, yeah you, want, you want to walk into the race feeling prepared. Absolutely. Yes. And then you want to have a good day. I mean, yeah. if you, if something goes bad, if your stomach goes bad, it's just not a satisfying experience. Well, you, see, you, I, you I, I disagree with that, actually. Really? You're okay with that? You, uh, I wouldn't have been, uh, like I said, you know, maybe 10 years ago. But now it's like, why, why do you do something silly like try and run 100 miles? Because it's this, this irrational challenge, I think. You know, it's, it's outlandish. It's, it makes no sense. There's no logic to it. Um, it's simply something that you know is going to be really difficult. And I want to find out if I have it in me to uh, meet that challenge. Because I think there's, there is something 
redeeming about uh, taking on an elective challenge and like rising to the occasion. Um, and there's also like you know like endorphins are released. But anyways, so <laughs> when hardships happen along the way, if you get disappointed in the hardship, like that's just that's it just part seems of the game. Like, what's that? Part of the game. That's the whole point of the game. Like you're <laughs> you're there to do this because it's a hard thing, you uh-huh. know. So if you're getting upset that it's hard, that seems weird. Is there a book in your future? This is you. This is very philosophical. You're really quite articulate about this. Here I am. I, I think there's a book in my future at some point, but yeah, I don't know. That's Good. Yeah. Good. I think people would appreciate that. I'm I'm learning right now. I mean, I just uh, when I get in a race, I kind of want you know to feel tired. You know, I want to just go hard and be limited by this 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 physical limits. And I want to feel that emotional push. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That, that, that there's something about the emotional part to me. I 100 percent agree. That's yeah. more interesting than anything else. Okay, what does this feel like? Why do I care about this? And what does this really mean? Maybe it's, you know, just have the Buddhist point of view. Like, hey, I'm breathing hard. My legs are tired. So what? It's just sensation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then if I'm throwing up or something, it's like, eh, uh, I, I don't really like that. And of course, the injury thing. I really don't like getting injury. I just kind of no. go to pieces when I get injured. Well, that's different. That's a completely different. Oh, that's, okay. that's like a failure of your, you know, musculoskeletal system. Okay. That no, that, I'm not interested in that either. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking. I thought you had risen above that. It's like no, 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 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not that enlightened, but um, <laughs> no, it's it's more that uh, the whole. I think. Yeah, there are two levels to it. One of them is this emotional level of I need I need the person in front of me to be pulling me along. I need the person behind me to be pushing me to be at my best, to kind of like drive me to my best effort. Because there is something very gratifying about being able to deliver what feels like a personally high quality performance, right? right. Um, and and again, like those out those external stimulus stimuli. Um, are important for getting the best out of yourself, but comparing yourself to the other folks. Well, that's interesting. Doesn't matter as much to me anymore. Right, to, but to tease that apart, this is very interesting, isn't it? Because I, do, I'm very, very internally motivated. I'm, I'm kind of known for just being very yeah. introverted, internally motivated for everything I do. But if I'm in a race, I want to beat the person next to me. Period. But I'm not sure. But that's that, sort of like the game, though. You it know? is. Like, I don't think I'm comparing myself. Ah, uh, okay. You see what I mean? There's a, there's a slight difference there. Somehow, yeah. if someone's in front of me, I want to pass them. And I don't even know why. It's, that yeah, it's the primal sense. thing, you know? And, right. But, but, I, but I, I think that is an emotionally mature um, perspective or like position to have on the whole competitive experience. Certainly for me, there used to be like. It was just like I did want to beat the person to beat them, you know, not necessarily to get the best on myself, but to like beat my chest basically and be like, oh, I am somehow better than them, you know, and and I just don't feel that way as much anymore. I think it's because uh, that's socially looked down upon, Um, (laughs) but for good reason, because it's ultimately uh, like self-destructive, you Mm -hmm. know, it's it's uh, what's the point in tearing someone else up? It doesn't build you up. It tears you down, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think in the sport of the running, we're really good about this. You look at some other sports, and the competition can get a little nasty. In the sport of running, at least in my experience, people give the big hug, give the big high five afterwards. 
okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I'm cynical about human intentions, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, you think that's all for show? Uh, no, I think a lot of it is. I think a lot oh. of it, like, like <laughs> people like to think that just because someone's a runner, that they're somehow like an enlightened or interesting or elevated or better human. And nah, there's plenty of runners who are assholes too. And I'm, <laughs> I'm probably one of them a lot of the time, you know? And, and so I don't know. I don't think simply well, going look, for a run makes you a good person. No, you know? no I, I didn't quite say that. I know. I know you're right. I put those words in your mind. But here's a, here's a good example. Bring you somewhat back to our original topic here, biking and running. <laughs> okay. Yes. Now, we, this, tri- this trip I did. This right. right. We, we, that was a very good tangent. I really liked that a lot. So just kind of roping it back in a little bit, biking and running. You've mm-hmm. now you've we both raced bikes. We've raced on running. Yeah, it's a different culture. It is, and now I, gravel is much more similar to runners. But if you get in a road race, it's way different than a running race. Yeah, and I've never really done a road race, ah. so that's and like and this is you know there is the, there is the whole trope of roadie culture and kind of the attitude and personalities that right permeates that culture. And I just don't have any experience with that, uh, so I can't really speak to it, but. Sort of um, one of the downsides of bike culture in general is that there is this necessary material good involved mm-hmm. that that uh, is a barrier to entry because like a faster bike will make you a faster racer will make you a faster rider you know so and, and it will like it'll change your experience um, positively or negatively this is true and yeah. of course at gravel racing there's a big controversy there right now of team sure team, exactly team tactics are coming into it you go to the roadie culture and it yeah aerodynamics ba- are even more important on the road than well than, teams than gravel. Yeah, yeah and basically well that's the only reason that teams are important is because aerodynamics drafting and the mechanics and the yeah. tactics and yeah so yeah forth. all that stuff yeah and it basically failed in the united states I mean, it failed. Tour to California, tour to the Utah. Oh, road racing. Yeah, it's, they it's, closed. It's done. They yeah. shut. It literally failed yeah. while still going very, very strong in Europe. Mm-hmm. Mean, meanwhile, gravel, which we invented, mm-hmm. is now being exported to Europe, where they didn't up until last year do things like that. But now there's a little bit of team tactics coming into gravel, and people are kind of going, "Hmm, not sure what I think about that." Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to like throw a wet towel and all this, but I just don't care about any of this stuff. <laughs> I guess it's like, it's uh, again, you know, I mean, we started this conversation. I'm, I'm very like, I pay a lot of attention to it, but ultimately I don't feel like it affects me in any way. And like, I don't, um, it doesn't affect like I can choose to ride my bike however I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, you know? And, um, so why would I, get stressed or waste emotional energy on right. these other issues, you know, like, oh, aero bars or, you know, people drafting or, you know, people, yeah, all that. It's like, I don't know, like, that's why you go out on a solo three-week tour and, you know, have a vision quest. <laughs> As the uh, thru-hikers say, hike your own hike. Exactly. No, it's like, I mean, it's, it's... It's the bottom line. Yeah, it's a cliche, but there's a lot of truth to it. And right. you, have to, you have to do the things that feel meaningful to you and have some kind of resonance with your personal values, I guess. I, I particularly relate, Tony, to that constant, speaking of tropes, the constant one that comes around every few years about, oh, the sport is changing. Yeah. <laughs> they love this. It was the good old days. Now it's changing, of course. That happens like every five years. Yeah. So whatever they said, you know, 
Whenever there's a new wave of people coming in, you say, oh, it was great when I got here, but now it's going to heck. But the answer is always the same. The sport sport becomes whatever you make it. It's whatever you do. Well, there's that, but but Mm -hmm. there's always a new generation. There's always going to be change. Um, But, yeah, it's whatever you want it to be, I guess. Like like exert some agency you know like <laughs> like take some ownership over your experience don't don't whine about it so much oh this is good i like that exert some agency take ownership over your experience okay we have our quote for the written show notes thank you appreciate that <laughs> because it's true it's good advice I, thanks i mean I, I i believe it i guess uh, yeah and you did that with your giant tour here so Going back to that, I really liked what you were saying about that inner experience becomes really available when there's nothing else out there. You're left, I'm just like with practice and meditation. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you you tend to strip away externals. The meditation courses I've done, mm -hmm. you're not allowed to bring a book, you're not allowed to bring a journal, you're not allowed to bring anything because it wants to be a clean, pure experience. You're just left with what is real, what is there. And a trip like this sort of provides that opportunity. It does. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of music and podcasts on the bike. Um, but when you're riding your bike 10 or 12 hours a day for three weeks on end, um, you're not able to occupy your mind with that stuff that entire time. Maybe half that time you are. Um, so that still leaves you another like five or six hours every day where you're just like completely inside your head. Um, and you realize very quickly that if you don't learn how to be content with the present moment, it's uh, it's an impossible quest <laughs> because you you can't spend hours on end pining yeah, yeah pining for something to be over with yeah this is a very good point. There's a certain distance where goal orientation starts to break down, practically speaking. Ah uh, yeah, or it's just like you have to learn like contentment in the moment. Otherwise, you know. Otherwise, the headwind or the hill or the washboard or whatever is going to feel endless always. Um, you just have to, like, accept uh, kind of, like, your your inadequacy, your fragility, and um, just be like, well, this is all the faster I can go. It might be six miles an hour on a bicycle, you know, but if I just keep doing this, sometime it will end, you know, and I, or I have the church, like, can always pull over and get in my sleeping bag and go to bed, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a constant lesson in, uh, being comfortable and content with yourself and your abilities, I guess. Being here now. Yeah. 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 You know, another trope, but yeah, for sure. It's true. It's totally true. A shorter event you see, Hey, only one hour till I get there. Only 15 minutes till I get there. Only four miles till I get there. Only two miles till I get there. But yeah. something like this, you can't really say that. You have to be content. It's too long. With yeah. what, it's too <laughs> long. You have to be content with what you're doing now. Yeah, exactly. This kind of goes into our whole sports history at a personal level. I, I used to run a long time ago. People didn't used to see runners. And they yell out the car window, what are you training for? And they always <laughs> yelled back, this. The question always perplexed me. It took me a long time to sort it out. I think what they meant is that this isn't supposed to be fun. Right. This is supposed to be bad, and you're doing it for another ulterior motive. And that never actually occurred to me. I always doing it because I liked it. Right, yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously that's a frustrating question to anyone who 
inherently enjoys an activity that is perceived as not fun. But I don't know. I, I'm not sure how you're using the word fun here because that's, <laughs> that's another uh, annoyance of mine, I think, in the, in the outdoor world. Is, or there, there's sometimes there's this attitude that uh, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? And maybe I'm just being too literal about the way people are using the word fun. Um, because there's a lot of reasons to do something that isn't just like pure hedonism, because uh, most things aren't. Um, and uh, but I think a lot of things are still worth doing, even when they're not, uh, quote unquote, you know, like Ferris wheels and rainbows fun. Right. You know? Edifying or rewarding might be better. Yes, adjective. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Enriching, uh, fulfilling, satisfying. Yeah, good. Very good words. clarification. Um, but but I mean but that's what you that's what you were when you meant when you said the word fun I yes think, you know um, and not necessarily training right right it's that rather than a means to an end this is the end right exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well <laughs> because so many people we know at least I know who are stellar runners when they finish their objectives they quit they're gone. It's, you um, mean they're done? They're done being runners. You yeah. Mean. Oh, hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. My my friend um, Rick Rick Trujillo. Ah, uh, sure. Look how many times the guy won Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. He finished second. That's the last time he ran Pikes Peak. It's like, <laughs> wow, that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arturo yeah. Barrios, you know, former world. Oh, Arturo Barrios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former world record holder in the 10K. He actually yeah. went to my garage sale one time, but after he was done, literally at that level, he didn't run again. Sure. This is kind of. Does he still live here in Boulder? I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's it's fine if you have a talent at something and uh, you get a lot of external um, validation from that, from being, from like expressing that talent. Uh, that's just for me. It's not sustainable, I guess. And, right. And it's not the. Those aren't the experiences that have a lot of meaning for me, I suppose. And, and, uh, they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to be sustaining when no one is paying attention to you anymore. Right. Right. Well, you've kept it up a long time. I mean, it's not that you're <laughs> yeah. old, but you did start young. You've been, I started young. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you've been an endurance athlete for a long time. And so obviously here's a real overused word, but I think it's appropriate, sustainable. You've made this a lifestyle choice. It's working for you professionally and personally, sure, yeah. which is a big deal. So I think you, there's some wisdom in this. So I've appreciated what you've, how you've defined how you're approaching this. Yeah, I, I you know, I'm, I'm 38. Uh, I would hope that I have a number of decades more of like learning to do, but I do feel like that my outlook has evolved on this stuff over the past call it last 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it was forced on me. Like I, my body failed me a lot and I I was like required to, to adapt and adjust, you know? Um, which is why, you know, I took up things like cycling and climbing and skiing, uh, instead of being just a runner, which I was only a runner for a good 15 years. Right, yeah. right. Well, bringing it back, <laughs> I, these, these aren't tangents. This is actually the best part of our conversation, but nonetheless, I'll bring it back to an episode 127 last year. Your quote was, I don't identify with any one sport. 
it's about the pure experience. It's, mm. That's still the case. And like I said earlier, you did schema race, you did bike racing, and now with your Sage the Summits, you, you put biking and running together in a, in a really dramatic way. That's a, that's a long trip, three weeks, 2,000 miles. Yeah. So let's get into this one a little bit. You had to carry some gear because you're going self-supported. Yeah. So obviously you carried, you were using cleats, you know, real bike shoes because yeah. you had to. Then obviously you changed into real running shoes. So you had to carry what, 10 pounds? Uh, uh, probably, closer to, probably close to 15 pounds base weight actually. 12 maybe, 12. Um, generally I have about yeah, you actually might be right with ten. It's generally about eight, like like base weight. With I don't have running like running equipment with me, but then it's probably another two to three pounds of like, you know, running shorts, uh, a cap, shoes, mm -hmm. socks, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, stuff it all ends up adding up a little the bit. The high tech gear. Yeah, but but when you're going into Granite Peak, that's a long trek, and so you Granite's long, yeah. So you, uh, this but I, I carried the exact same thin on every mountain. Um, uh, Ultimate Direction makes this little utility belt. Yeah, the utility belt. I wear that on every single run, and that was the only "quote unquote" pack I brought on the trip. That's the only. You yeah. really you went all the way into granite and back. Granite and Gannett both. Gannett, Gannett's thirteen miles longer than granite. You know. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just with a utility belt. Yeah, but I mean, this buzz, like I've, uh, you know, I'm in a committed long-term relationship, and this was the first kind of trip I've done where I actually had, a, what do they call them, PLBs, personal location beacon or whatever. Yes. Um, at a Garmin Mini inReach. Good. That I had on the entire trip and also carried with me on every mountain, which Good. was an absolute first. Like I've done, you know, like I did Gannett 12, no, 10 years ago now. Um, FKT. Yeah, yeah, it was FKT at the time, and um, I didn't have something like that. I didn't even have a phone. You know, I just I had a camera with me, <laughs> but like, that wasn't going to be. They were going to triangulate that camera to any cell towers, you know, to find me. Um, well, as Aaron Ralston would readily attest, carrying a PLB is a good thing to do. Yeah. But I was more referring to the volume of that. I mean, you got like four bars, I and mean, what can you fit in the utility? Oh, I wouldn't bring four bars. Um, uh, I would usually. I think the most calories I brought with me was fifteen hundred. Um, sounds about right. So it's like seven. What's that? Well, usually it's about 200 calories per bar. Oh, seven bars. Uh, yeah, but I wasn't, I never had bars though. I always had, um, a pack of gas station gummies, which is usually about 900 calories. And then, uh, uh, totally blanking. Uh, oh, you're right. No, I would have like a granola bar or something. Um, but yeah, that was like on the longest one, 1500 calories. Typically I would just have like that pack of gummies and it would be enough usually wow um, that's a long day but then i would have a, i would have a water filter too you know yeah um use the be free yeah katahdin right um right i think there's a few others on the market now but yeah right i'm just going through the logistics of this uh the bike packing versus and combining it with running that's that's real that's remarkable that's how you kept that weight down utility, yeah, the utility belt's great i use it a lot but not for a 16 hour day well, I never had any 16 hours a day. My longest day was 10 hours. <laughs> you didn't do, you did Gannett in 10 hours round trip? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I was going, I was trying to get my FKT back, but uh, Rainstorm came in on the way back, and you've done Gannett at least a couple times, I think. Yep. Um, and it's mostly Boulder Field <laughs> hopping. <laughs> and when that gets wet, it's very, very treacherous. <laughs> uh, I'm still injured. Like, I ended up bruising the labor in my shoulder. Um, 
because I ended up slipping and uh, that's when I stopped. I was like, I can't try and go fast anymore. And like, I, I caught myself between two boulders, but just like really jam my this is in tourist creek i imagine coming down tourist creek exactly um so anyways i was on pace to be sub nine hours until until that yeah until i I got to the summit three minutes slower than um my previous fkt split uh so it was still it was still possible you know at that point wow but doing that in the middle of a big backpacking trip is extremely impressive yeah, well, it was it was hard um, <laughs> at that point because I was day seventeen, so I was really tired at that point. You know, seventeen days without a day off, obviously. But my easiest day was the day before Gannett. I still rode my bike seventy miles over Union Pass, you know, over the Wind River Range to the Green River Lakes Trailhead. Um, uh, I would be remiss to mention, you know, this wasn't completely solo. Uh, there are other humans around, obviously, but uh, a friend of mine. And photographer Fred Marmsatter, he met me twice on the trip, once on the Grand Teton and then once at the trailhead, the start of and the finish of Gannett, um, to take photos. So I had like that, that, and I stayed overnight with uh, my sister who lives in Dubois, Wyoming. So, you know, having people you know is absolutely like emotional support along the way. Like it's hugely uplifting. <laughs> like, and I'm not I'm not one of those people who who really needs a lot of that typically, but a trip like this just like throws it into such stark relief. You're just like, oh yeah, this three is weeks. the most important thing. Like <laughs> Yeah, three weeks. Yeah. It's yeah. And obviously like on the phone with Haley, you know, at least every other day. And um so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure where we're going. <laughs> that's that's a fast, uh, very fast gannet. Uh, yeah, that was that was by far the longest. Um, the next longest would have been granite. Granite, and that was six hours. It was under seven hours, six forty-five, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, like that's just a morning. Actually, you know, it's like it's like <laughs> not that long. But it's twenty-five miles, twenty-six miles, something like that. Wow, what a combo! So I have to mention Lachlan Morton. Oh sure, yeah, the Tour de France alt. And I didn't realize that he really did that. That wasn't a publicity stunt. He that guy, no, Lachlan's for real. He's yeah, for yeah. real. He threw yeah. down. He had it wasn't his real his proper bike. And so he got these shin splints early on. I think it was his knee actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got this knee's knee yeah. acted up. So he just throw away his cleats, his yeah. road pedals, and he went into a hardware store just to buy some platform pedals. Yeah. He couldn't find any, so he bought an entire kid's bike, just a kid's <laughs> just to bike, pedals, yeah. just to, and put the pedals on. And then what was that, like 3,000 miles? That sounds right. Yeah, because it was the entire Tour de France plus all the transfers between stages. Like, he did the whole thing self-supported. Um, and self-supported. It was yeah, he, legit. Yeah, he, he was mostly camping out. He, You know, it was, yeah. And the world you know, is the real deal for sure. And on the World Pro Tour, if you know this. I mean, most people know this. I mean, you are weighted on hand and foot. It's a massage. It's a sure. Court, I mean, it's, it's chef. But I mean, in Lachlan, I'm sure Lachlan would agree with this. But like, it's silly to compare the two. They're two yeah. completely different endeavors. Right. Like, and they're complete two completely different experiences. Um, one is absolutely just like turning the human into an automaton, basically. Like like a bicycle riding robot uh, and trying to like optimize for pure human performance. And the other one is like an expeditionary life-changing experience, you know, and, and figuring out everything for, yeah, it's a logistical uh, problem solving. Yeah. It's so much more multifaceted. Yeah. 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 It's not to like put 
either on a different, like say one is better than the other. They're just wildly different. Um, and that, yeah, that's the same with doing like something I did versus, uh, I don't know, say like winning Western States or something. They're two like very different experiences. Right. Um, right. Well, I appreciate the way you've been able to do both. This is, this is good. I mean, bike packing is a thing. It's, uh, it's fun. I did my first overnight backpacking trip. Where are we here now? 54 years ago. <laughs> oh Oops, I maybe I shouldn't have said that. Right. But yeah, bike packing. So what we, that would have been like about 67 or something, 68? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Northern yeah. Michigan, in fact. You know, that was on my three-speed Raleigh. Wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's fun. You know, you're on your own. It's freedom. Yeah, well, that's... that's there's the, a sense of freedom. See, exactly. uh, of course, for me, it was seeing mom and dad. And you're off on your own. Yeah. And you kind of get this feeling, which, you know, we still have as adults, I think, that I can keep going. Exactly. Once you've, once you've broken... There's this rubber band that comes up in the first few days. But once you get past that rubber band, it's like, I could just keep doing this. This could be my lifestyle. I can do anything I want. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's, it, for me, it's never like, this could be my lifestyle, but it is definitely on shorter trips. Um, and by shorter, I mean like maybe sub 10 days. It's always like, there's always that itch of like, yeah, you could just keep doing this. Like it's sustainable, you <laughs> right. know, even if you're doing hundred plus miles a day, every day, like it's like, there's something so like you just, uh, you can like focus in and you have a purpose, a very singular, I like clear tangible purpose every day and that's enormously seductive right um so right. yeah yeah I, that's i mean i think that's what you mean by like i could just i can make this turn this into a lifestyle there's a sense of freedom yeah absolutely and i think that that arises from the uh like the like the realized self-reliance of it you know ah. it's like because it's so much you feel so out of control of at least I do, I guess, <laughs> of things in, in your day-to-day -day life so much. Of like, oh, there's all these demands being placed on you, people asking you for things, um, uh, obligations you have. But then when you're out there, you kind of erase all that stuff. And uh, you're so self-contained on the bicycle. Right. You have everything you need. It's, I don't know, yeah. It's I just very th free. Yeah. I just thought of that because I just sold my house. Which one, here in town? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Oops. Spilled the beans live on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm down in the basement. Oh, and they're renting it back to you right now. And Right. No, okay. no, no, no. I'm down in the basement and there's 50 years of stuff. Oh, you're going through. 50 I see years saying. of stuff and you're just working. This is like work, work, work. It's like a, a week of work. It's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it's miserable. Yeah. Other people have had the same experience. And then you're thinking, well, you know. Heck, just April, Peter and I were down in the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. We had our 10-pound base weight. We were getting water out of the creeks. That was kind of easy. And now I hear I'm just working my butt off with all this stuff. And it's like the more objects you have in your life, almost the less you like your life. Yeah, it's weird. It's um, I think it's like those objects are heavier because of all the like emotions and experiences wrapped up in them there too. And I, th I think that stuff is actually important. Um, so it can be like, it can feel cumbersome, but that's also like what makes up a life, I think. Well, wow. You're right. It is what makes up a life. Otherwise, what do you got? Mm -hmm. That's true. Hey, when I was in my first trip overseas to Asia, I met people who were, I was really taken aback by them. It's like, wow, these people are cool. They've been over here for 
two years just traveling around Asia. Oh, people just kind of like like expats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were out on the, the tourist trail, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can learn a lot from these guys. Start talking to them. They knew the cheap restaurant. They knew the cheap hostel. Yeah. They didn't know anything. They were they were boring. It wasn't yeah, that interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't. Yeah, I see they didn't have saying. they didn't have a life. It's like that's I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't need to know the cheap hotel. I want to know how we fit into this bigger world and this entire right. culture. Yeah, and that I don't know, and that requires um, that requires having roots and having a community and that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's hard to do that as a vagabond. I think. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it is. Well, this is this is fun. I have to. Oh, wait! Before I ask you, which we always do, what's coming next? Mm. Because I know you got a few ideas. Yeah. But we have to tie this back in. You did this two-week, th oops, three-week trip in July, mm -hmm. and then in August you finished third at Leadville. Yeah. Mean, and not just third, but you were what was it within eight minutes of your best time? Uh, no, I was I was within an hour of my best time, but it was within. Six minutes of the first time that I did it 15 years ago. That's it. Which I won that time. So, I don't know. There was like an eerie kind of like similarity between the very first time I did it and this time when I did it last so year. I'm, I, I was very impressed. I think a lot Thanks, of people guys, are yeah. very impressed. You were 37 years old, which is, you know, not... 30, a, 38, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, August. Yeah. But that was... Uh, you know, you're not an old guy, but 38 is. Yeah, not it was the 15. Same as, it was 15 years after the first time I did it. Which right, is, right. That's a long time, I guess. Right, and came close on the time, third in a major race, after doing this bike packing trip. So, what's your comments here? Is like bike packing, riding the bike along with running. I mean, what, what are we seeing here? Uh, I, I think for me, um, uh, you know, injury management or prevention has always been the real crux of my running career and biking has allowed me to like maintain and or build fitness like cardiovascular fitness and then if I can just get in enough miles to kind of like you know season the legs and I don't know pepper the musculoskeletal system a little bit to hold up to the rigors of 100 mile race and it seems like I can still do okay at it you know and, and this trip that I did on the bike basically with six long runs in three weeks, you know? Uh, so it was a pretty good, like, kickstart to, you know, like, base to the preparations for something like Leadville. Then I did a couple more long runs when I got home and put in a five-day taper and went and did Leadville. Um, that worked. It worked. I, no, I'm just it, trying to figure this out. I felt good. Like, I felt confident going in. It was mostly um, the second layer to that was being conservative with my race plan at Leadville, I guess, to – um, cause it had been seven years since I started a hundred mile race. Um, or, I mean, I finished the last one I did too, but you know, I hadn't even attempted a hundred mile race in those last seven years. Um, so it felt really, I wouldn't say brand new, but it felt like scary and uncertain again, which is a fun place to be. You know, that's, I kind of need that, that spark to have the, that kind of emotional excitement around it to have the motivation to drive something as hard as running 100 miles. And no 220-mile week two weeks before No, exactly. I, <laughs> I, think I, I think my biggest week really all year was maybe like 
60 or 70 miles, you know? Really? So, yeah, yeah. Wow. That, that's... I, can't, I can't run a lot anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> My body will break down. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's like one quarter of your peak week. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Or like a third, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Okay, all right. So there's some takeaways here, I think. And we interviewed uh, Anna Troop from the UK who got FKT of the Year number three for Pennine Way. Hmm. She's 53 years old. I said, wow, hey, that's good. She's by far the oldest FKT of the Year award winner. I said, so any thoughts on that? She said, I do my hard work on the bike. So she hmm. runs for the biomechanics, yeah. But she hits it hard on the bike because in her body, in terms of intensity, you mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. Huh. Because as you know, you can you can just hit it on the bike. Next day, you're fine. Yeah, you can get really cardiovascularly fit on the bicycle, but for uh, ultra marathon running, there's a certain amount of conditioning that your your skeleton and musculature right. needs in order to be able to withstand it. Right. But it's not as, you know, especially, you know, I've been running long distances for over 25 years now. You know, I did my first marathon, yeah, 25, 26 years ago. So um, I have a big lifetime base of that kind of muscular conditioning, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. Well, good, good call on that. So we, uh, you're a great cyclist. I mean, uh, you're not top 50. I, I ride my bike a lot. I don't know if I'm a great I cyclist. Know, I know. You said top 50%. You're more like top 10 or 20% of the field. Maybe. I don't even know. Yeah. Mm. And then obviously somehow, and I'm like this too, because I've done a lot of, I've done some kayak racing and I'll mm-hmm. stand up paddleboard racing, bike racing, et cetera, et cetera. I'm still a better runner. Sure. Which yeah. is... It mystifies me because I can I can <laughs> run like once or twice a week and just train the bike, train the boat, etc., yeah. etc. But I never get to the same level I was at in running. I yeah, know. that's that's my exact position right now. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that odd? <laughs> like if I were if, say if I were twenty five years old right now, looking at thirty eight year old me, I would be really pissed at thirty eight year old me because I'd be like, this dude doesn't even run and he's able to like podium at a race like Leadville. <laughs> like, yeah. like I would be kind of, I would be uh, a little, little angry with me, but um, but I have put a lot of miles on my legs, and I think the same is true for you. You know, yep. over the last you know what fifty five years. Yep. So yeah, yep. I've got a base. <laughs> yeah. So what is next? I know, I know you've got some cool uh, projects. You might not want to spill the beans on them. But, well, because you know, they're still in formation. Things. But, I mean, immediately next is uh, uh, this spring. There's a couple of, yeah, biking-specific things I want to do. Uh, Haley and I are heading out to SoCal in a couple of weeks to just do this kind of casual bikepacking tour in Southern California. Um, it's called the Stagecoach Route. But then later in the spring, we might do something a little higher intensity. Um like a maybe an ITT on a bike packing loop somewhere, um, uh, and then. Uh, but I also want to. I don't know. I'd like to do like a fifty miler or something this spring on foot. Fifty's good. Yeah, just because it's like it keeps me in touch with going long, but it's not. You can recover in a week, you know. Right. Um, and then when summer comes around, uh, the first half will be devoted to some kind of big project involving biking and foot travel, probably. Mm-hmm. And then I might go back to Leadville. I don't know what we'll to say. Interesting. Leadville, yeah. because Leadville kind of fell off the map a little bit when Hard Rock demoted it from a qualifying race. Yeah. But you still you still like the course? You still like... I have so much history with it at this mm. point. It, it, that's the most important connection to it for me, I guess, is uh, it's just kind of like this 
touchstone, like in my personal identity, I suppose, um, that is comfortable in a way, but also really meaningful. Um, and, but like the most logistical thing is it's two hours from where we live here in Boulder. Right. And my main sponsor at La Sportiva is also a sponsor of Leadville. So I have that, and this is a, not a small thing in today's altering world. I can get in whenever I want, basically. So <laughs> that's, you can't, I can't say that about almost any other hundred mile race. So <laughs> limiting that way. Yeah. UTMB isn't, yeah. The Pilates aren't to say, hey, Tony, come on over. No. Yeah. <laughs> so gotcha. Well, that's, that's true. And I like the logistics aspect. You know, the travel thing is a little odd. And so Leadville, you just shoot on up there. And... Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. We're still in a pandemic. It's hard to make plans that, involve international travel still i think um mm-hmm. but you know, gotcha by the summer that'll probably be but fine, i like this but, this yeah. is a mix a little bit of racing um, a little bit of riding and the combo pack any any thoughts on what that big combination trip might be this is the reason you're you're saying yeah, you I mean, summits trip that was very creative you got six summits six yeah. classic ranges the highest peak yeah. that was a that was a good route yeah i was happy with the uh I guess the itinerary of that and that it was usually like two days of biking in between a mountain, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, the 14ers in Colorado are an obvious one to do self-powered. Um, 14ers in California don't interest me as much because they're just clumped. It's like, there's not a lot of biking going on. Like you have Shasta, then you ride your bike a long ways to the Sierra and you do all this, you know, it's not a lot of bike riding. Um, but they're nice summits. Yeah. I think they're, very worthy mountains to like spend time in but i don't think it makes sense to include a bicycle mm. um but then you start looking at the cascades and the volcanoes up there starting with baker in the north all the way down to lawson peak in the south that starts looking like a logical link up of some kind but i've never been i've never been to the cascades so that's a huge unknown for me but, the, yeah. those volcanoes stand out I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah. You we get were on just, one, you look to the south, and there's the others. You look yep. to the north, and there's they're just lined up in a row. I know. It's it's very compelling. Uh, we were actually just out in Seattle last week, week before. Um, we have a sponsor out there, and uh, you're flying, leaving Seattle, and like you fly right past your near, and you look down, and say, oh, there's Adams, there's Hood. You know, it's just like, yeah, like you said, it's just like, boop, 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 just lined up perfect. And, they, and it was really cool then, because they were all just like poking above the clouds, too, but... Um, I just don't, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that one because I have no experience in the Northwest. So, right. Yeah. They got snow. Snow and there's trees and there's rain. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've spent a lot of time on snow, but just the, just the whole landscape feels very foreign to me. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Nice. Well, thank you for sure. taking your time. This is an edifying conversation. It's so thoughtful. I mean, your athletic accomplishments are well known. What you did this last year is I guess I, didn't, I guess I didn't even. I'm sorry, I didn't even mention. Uh, I was just thinking about how this is the FKT podcast. The first peak I did was an FKT, um, Kings Peak. Oh, in the Uintas, yeah. But uh-huh. I mean, that's here and there. People can go on the website if they want to look at that. <laughs> um, the first peak you did on your Sagebrush to Summit yeah, was yeah. Kings Peak, and you got an FKT on that. Yeah. And that's after biking to get there for two days. Uh, Three days. Three days. Yeah, 440 miles or something, yeah. Well, you have serious endurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, well, thanks again for taking your time, and congratulations on a stellar 2021. Thanks, Buzz. Yeah.
And not only do we look forward to uh, what happens this year, but we look forward to that book. You're a thoughtful, oh, intelligent person. <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. Uh, I just I just need to get more disciplined, I guess, and actually start writing it. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Buzz. <laughs>